All right, I'd like to call the February 6th, 2023 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And tonight it is my pleasure to proclaim the month of February 2023 as Black History Month, and I would like to invite Haben Haile Selassie, as long with uh, Wuhibdi Haile Selassie, up to the podium with me for the proclamation. Whereas Black History Month was formally adopted in 1976 to honor and affirm the importance of the achievements black people have made throughout U.S. history, and whereas black people have made valuable and lasting contributions locally, nationally and, nationally and globally, achieving exceptional success in all aspects of society, including business, education, politics, science and the arts, and whereas we recognize black people have been and continue to be leaders in the fight against prejudice and racism, advancing the causes of civil rights, and strengthening families and communities. And whereas we recognize black people, uh, black community members bear the worst abuses of racism and anti-blackness, while continuing to give their time, talents, knowledge, and other resources which contribute to the vitality of our community. And whereas the city is committed to building an anti-racist community by working in cooperation with our black community leaders and partners to dismantle institutional racism through meaningful actions. Now, therefore, I, Keith Scully, the mayor of Shoreline, on behalf of the Shoreline City Council, do hereby proclaim February 2023 as Black History Month. And I am delighted to present this, your sisters, correct? To the Haile Selassie sisters. I know Haben quite well through her work with Grounded. Honored to present the proclamation to you. And if either of you would like to say a couple words, you are welcome to do so. It's the sixth day of Black History Month the sixth day celebrating black lives, culture, and achievements. Throughout this month, you'll see businesses, organizations, and people support and provide allyship. At Black Coffee Northwest, this is something that we do every day and not just for the month. From the business side of hosting Saturday marketplaces with small black-owned vendors, to the nonprofit Grounded, which offers free mental health and music room and internships. We provide a space where black youth can grow their creative selves and thrive freely. We like to emphasize as much as we can about the importance of representation and seeing people that look like you in positions of power. Growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, I didn't see many options of what a black woman can do with her career. Since working at Black Coffee Northwest, I've interacted with black doctors, farmers, and metaphysicians. I've been exposed to a wide variety of things I can do based off what people that look like me have done. As we know, February is a significant and important month for black lives. But what a lot of people don't know is that November is another month that's shifted the lives of many others. To quote Dr. King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. November 2020 was the start of a two-year-long genocide by the Ethiopian and Eritrean governments against the Tigray region of Ethiopia. People of Tigray have been murdered, starved, raped, and internally displaced from their homes, all because of something they can't control, their identity. We march and protest that Black Lives Matter, Yet when those lives in the motherland are being harmed, the world ignores. The media only shows what's mainstream. We tweet, we tweet, we share, we post pictures, and when it comes to the lives of people that don't look like us, or the lives in their country, we ignore. Why? We think it's none of our business or we simply don't care. It's not fair that in 2023 my people are still targets, not only here, but in our birthplace. If we're to make a change, then it starts with those tiny steps, like reposting, letting a friend know, showing up, or donating. 
That being said, it's important to involve and celebrate the many different black lives all around the world and show them they matter. Thank you. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any changes to the agenda? No? All right, the agenda is adopted as proposed. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Ellington. Yes. Good evening, council. We have a great event coming up this Friday for sixth to 12th graders. The Youth and Teen Development Program is hosting a completely free thrifting event at the Teen Center with coats and clothes for Shoreline Middle and High School students. We welcome community donations for this event, particularly new or gently used winter clothing like coats and sweatshirts. And we're also looking for shoes, t-shirts, and books. Donations can be dropped off at the Richland Highlands Recreation Center weekdays from 2.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. For information on this and other teen center events, visit the city's calendar at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. As you can see, yours truly was at the day of service um, at North City Park for um, Martin Luther King Day. We have four volunteer opportunities that are also coming up with the Green Shoreline Partnership coming up this weekend in our parks. On Saturday, February 11th, volunteers will be working at Twin Ponds Park from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. and at Hamlin Park from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. On Sunday, February 12th, there will be two afternoon events at Twin Ponds and North City Park from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Registration and proof of vaccination is required. Find the links to register for the events and more information at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. The application period for our environmental mini-grant program is now open. Individuals, community groups, and businesses can apply for grants up to $5,000 for projects that address our environmental priorities. We are looking for projects that prepare our community for climate change impacts, protect and restore our natural habitats, reduce fossil fuel use, and bring us closer to zero waste. Learn more and find the application at shorelinewa.gov forward slash environmental mini-grant. And finally, as for other public meeting reminders, we do not have any other board meetings this coming week. Planning Commission's next meeting will be on Thursday, February 16th, and the PRCS Tree Board will meet on Thursday, February 23rd. To see meeting agendas when they are published, visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. And that completes the city manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellington. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Councilmember Mork. I attended the Regional Water Quality um, Committee. Part of King County oh, yeah. focuses on uh, sanitary uh, sewer and the topics were about pithos, which is polyfluorinated uh, biphenols and the impact on the sound. And uh, unsurprisingly, they, there is an impact on the sound. Uh, King County had done a study after the uh, whale carried around the corpse of their 
baby whale for so long. And uh, so it was very interesting to hear what they found. And um, one of the key things that is happening is try to, wastewater treatment does not introduce PFAS. It comes from other things, Teflon, cosmetics, other things like that. There is a bill in the legislature that is trying to remove PFAS as a supply uh, that Cindy Ryu, our representative, has sponsored. I just wanted to let everybody know about that. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Povey. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, last Friday was the Seashore Transportation meeting. Uh, we got an update on the uh, link, <laughs> Linwood Link. Uh, connections mobility project phase two and uh, I think we'll be getting more uh, later on this evening so I'll just end there thank you thank you are there other council reports no all right I was honored to attend the Edwin Pratt uh, memorial celebration it was folks from his family along with folks who knew him along with the shoreline police department who in conjunction with the Edmonds police department there's some connections there um, had organized the ceremony, and I was happy to read a proclamation from all of us honoring uh, Mr. Pratt and recognizing our new park, and then they went on to the uh, school district's facility, which also honors him at the Early Learning Center. Also delighted to announce the subcommittee for the Parks Board interviews. Deputy Mayor Robertson, Councilmember Mork, and Councilmember Ramsdell, everyone to my right, um, has, has thankfully volunteered for that, and I'm delighted to appoint the three of you to, to do the necessary work of finding us some new board members. All right, with that said, we're now moving on to public comments. It's my understanding that no one has signed up for public comment in advance. Is that accurate? That's correct. Is there anyone who would like to give public comment in the audience tonight? No? Okay. We're going to move on then to the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second. Will the clerk please call the vote? Council Member Ramsdale? Aye. Council Member Poby? Aye. Council Member Roberts? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Council Member McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously, which moves us on to study item 8A, which is an update on the King County Metro Bus Service Linwood Link Phase 2 restructure. I believe we're having presentations remotely uh, led by Ms. Walters. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, please go ahead. Okay, it is my pleasure this evening to be presenting, um, actually to be introducing King Canu Metro's uh, team who's working on the Linwood Link Connections program. Um, we have been very fortunate to work with King County Metro for several years, um, starting with the King County, I worked with them starting with King County Metro Connects and we've had a really good partnership with them um, for uh, that duration, uh, which was when we started that in 2016. So we appreciate them coming here this evening. This is phase two of the Linwood Link Connection Program. Um, they, I'm going to repeat a couple things they'll be talking about, but they'll be talking about how they're going to be restructuring service to support Linwood Link light rail uh, coming to Shoreline. Um, so they're going to be talking specifically about the outreach that they're doing to our community and to other stakeholders and their process for determining how they're going to be restructuring that service to um, we're interested in very robust service. So without further ado, I will turn it over to the King County Metro team. We're very fortunate to have several people here um, led by Amanda. And Amanda, I thought I'd let you all introduce yourselves. Um, that might be a good way. And if you could say who you are and what your title is, after Amanda gives a presentation, then we'll have questions for council. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Natasha, and uh, Mayor, Deputy Mayors, and Council Members, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, as Natasha said, we're here to present on Lipman Link Phase 2. This is our draft network. This is the first time that the public will have something, has had something to respond to, um, to give us feedback about, you know, what network it is that they will use that will best serve their needs. And so I'm Amanda Pleasant-Brown. I am Government Relations Jurisdictional Lead here at King County Metro, and I'm joined by several of my colleagues, as Natasha mentioned. So we have Yingying Wong Fernandez, who is our service planner lead um, for the Linkwood Link Connections project. And then we also have Luke Distelhorst, um, who is our senior community engagement lead for this program as well. And so I also want to note, too, we have a couple of other folks who are here with us. Chris Arkill is our senior government relations administrator, and Greg Newman, our service planning manager here with us as well to ensure that we can answer all, all of your questions. Um, so without further ado, I will hand it over to Ying Ying to walk us through um, the phase two network. And I will be sharing my screen, so give me just a moment. Is that coming through okay? It is, but it's not in presentation mode, so it's quite small. Just this moment. Are you having the same issue? I put it in presentation mode on my end, but it's not. It's, it's still showing the entirety of the screen. Are you sharing the um, the screen or the window? Maybe. I'm sharing the window. If you hit stop sharing and then go ahead and hit share again, and you can choose the, the PowerPoint slideshow. We'll try again. No, unfortunately, I think it's still showing the window um, in the uh, slide preview. Okay. Uh, Luke from my team, would you mind trying on your end? Do you have it up? Apologies for the delay here. Not a problem. And if it comes down to it, we could see it. It's 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 fine in that mode if necessary. Yeah, I also believe we have a copy of the presentation too. If if uh, I don't know if Jessica, if that would help if they continue to have difficulties. I do want to note we did have to update a slide, so slide six is now slide 11, just for folks following along. There we go. That looking good? That's great, thank you. 
Okay, over to, over to you, Yingying. Thank you. Luke, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. Thanks. All right. So, hi, everybody, and good to be here to present on the Enabling Connections Mobility Project. So just to start with a bit of background, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but as many of you already know, in 2024 and 2026, Sound Transit will be extending the Link Light Rail to include five new stations from Seattle to Linwood. And they will also be implementing a new bus rapid transit along the 522 corridor. So to prepare for the extension of Link Light Rail service and the BRT service, also, to respond to changing mobility and improve mobility access for historically underserved population, um, we at Metro have initiated a mobility project in the Northwest King County. So this project is intended to deliver an updated mobility network that connects with Sound Transit Link Light Rail and integrates with the Sound Transit and Community Transit Service. Um, so we will be coordinating with Sound Transit, and we have been uh, coordinating with Sound Transit in this project. We also want to note that Community Transit is currently also carrying out a network redesign project um, to see how their network should change in, in considering the changes of Sound Transit service into their service area. So part of their plan actually includes extending the Swift Blue Line to Shoreline North 185th Station. I thought that was noteworthy to point out for this audience. Next slide, please. So um, also a review um, for the project itself. We're looking at 22 project routes, um, which is being evaluated and studied for change. So among these 22 routes, 14 of them are all-day routes, and eight of them are peak-only routes. This list of routes is below in blue. Um, in addition to project area routes, um, we also identified a study area in yellow here on the graph on your right side. Um, and this study area further defines the area in which Metro will use to conduct uh, targeted engagement um, and also to perform equity analysis. So an example of how it is used, um, in our engagement, we want to hear from all of those who travels within, to, and from this defined study area. Um, and again, just want to note that Sound Transit joined Metro in hearing from communities' needs, and particularly around the 520 corridor as well, 522 corridor. Next slide, please. Um, this project um, is guided by four project goals that are consistent with the common restructuring goals in our new service guidelines. And also you may have seen these goals or similar ones in other mobility projects. Um, so the first one is to improve mobility for priority populations. This is defined by the mobility network. So that includes low, in low and low income populations, black, indigenous, and people of color, immigrants and refugees, people with disabilities, and linguistically diverse communities. We recognize that they are an important part of our current and uh, potential customer base. And the second goal is equitably inform, engage, and empower current and potential customers traveling in the project area. The third is to deliver integrated service that responds to link expansion, changes in transit network, and community needs. And last but not least, um, the fourth goal is to improve the efficiency, effectiveness, and environmental sustainability of the transit system. 
Uh, now I'm going to hand it off to Luke to briefly talk about the engagement timelines of this project. Thanks, Yingying. Again, Luke Testelhorst, Community Engagement. Uh, so right now we're currently in phase two, uh, where we are gathering feedback about the service concepts, and we'll be making changes to the network to bring it to a phase three service proposal for further public feedback. In early 2022, phase one engagement allowed our communities to identify their mobility needs and our mobility and partner review boards helped refine these needs and guide the project team in developing the service concepts that we are sharing today. And just for clarity, our mobility board is made up of residents who live or work in the project area, including Shoreline, and our partner review board includes jurisdictional staff, such as those from Shoreline, uh, partner agencies, and local organizations. During phase two, we are gathering feedback on how well the concept network addresses community priority needs, considering the trade-offs we must make. Given that this is the first time people are seeing the concept network, we are looking for feedback on any questions or gaps that may arise. The phase two engagement feedback will really help us further develop and refine the service concept to produce that more final service proposal for phase three. That then goes out to the public again to collect additional feedback on ways to refine and improve it. After that, we'll work on finalizing the proposed route changes and submit to the King County Council for adoption. There is a, a big yellow box over here around phase three. Um, we don't yet have a final timeline on our phase three engagement as Sound Transit is still working out opening dates uh, for various link extensions, but we're working closely with our partners and I would expect our phase three engagement to be roughly mid uh, 2023. All right, thank you, Luke. So before I walk through some high-level changes um, that we're currently showing in our concept network, um, there are a few key assumptions I'd like to go over first. So the first one is that um, in this project, we're focused on planning for a final network that assumes the opening of Lingwood Lake stations, the 130th Street infill station, and the Stripe 522 BRT. Um, as you know, these sound transit projects will have different opening times, um, and so it's likely that different portion of the final Lingwood Link network will be implemented in phases to match the sound transit opening. Um, we will be looking into that more in details when we, when we get to phase three later this year and after we have a good idea of what this final network will look like. Um, the second key assumption um, is that you know, as we have done in other mobility projects, there are no additional investments into the network and therefore they're budget neutral. Um, this means that if we are directed to add service in one area, we'll have to find another reduction in the project area. Um, so there are difficult trade-offs specific to route replacements, um, revisions, and design of new routes. And all these we will talk a little bit more about in later slides. Um, and last, um, as, as this is a near-term network, um, it is constrained by capital infrastructure. So we can only deliver a set of a set number of new routes, uh, new stops and improvements due to both budget and timeline constraints. And so um, there are also limitations in 
many areas on which streets we can operate on and where we can end routes. So recognizing all of these capital constraints, we are working closely with our city partners to identify how we can help meet capital needs as best as possible. Um, however, it is a very key factor in what have influenced our uh, concept network and will continue to influence our final network proposals going forward. So what has informed the concept network? To ensure that the Linwood Link network meets the project goals listed earlier, uh, we are grounding the network development decisions on these three areas of inputs. So the first one is the data and analysis inputs, which forms the foundation for uh, many of our work. So to describe in more detail, um, we have the origin and destination travel trend data, which helps us form a initial set of understanding um, for the major destinations made by our writers and non-writers. And this understanding is added to by our engagement feedback. And second, equity priority area. So this is an analysis that we do to look at where there are greater proportion of equity populations and where do they live. And so as mentioned earlier in project goals, priority populations represent a significant amount of our transit riders and it's a very important part of our uh, customer base. So these community members that uh, are ones that we also want to make sure that their needs are served by transit. And this matches with our project goal. And then the third, uh, we have a lot of wealth of data at, at transit agencies about current ridership, crowding, and productivity. Um, this information helps us understand and discover what changes we should consider based on service design best practices, and especially to consider when wanting to make efficient use of our limited service hour resources. The second and most major part, I think, of what informed this network is community input. So Metro conducted phase one community engagement from February to June of 2022, um, which included surveys, direct engagement with writers, and also mobility board and partner review board meetings. These engagement input was summarized into two major items that help plan the network. One is priority mobility needs. Um, and these are used to directly inform um, what the network should address. And the second is important connections and destinations, which help inform specific route concepts, such as how we should route a pathway of a particular route to meet these major and important destinations. And just to give you a example, some of the major important destinations we have heard from communities in Shoreline in phase one engagement include future light rail stations, um, North City, Valentine Way, Northeast affordable housing, Echo Lake, um, Shoreline Center, and you know, um, business areas such as the Central Market. Um, we also met with the City of Shoreline's Economic Development Program Manager and learned about the planned developments around the 148th station, 185th station, um, and also a lot in Aurora between um, sort of the 175th and 195th. Now, I'll talk more about um, these and how they were incorporated um, at a high level in the future, uh, in the next few slides. Um, the last key consideration is the capital infrastructure. Um, I already talked about how this is a key constraint for the network. So we have to consider where it is possible to lay over a bus. 
um, also where we can route a bus because not all the pathways and railways can support bus service. And so all three of these areas of input form the basis of how we make network decisions. Um, all of the network decisions consider a combination of engagement input, equity impacts and benefits, and also service design best practices as outlined um, by our service guideline. So in this slide here, you are seeing six priority needs um, that we heard from our phase one engagement. And this was finalized by area residents um, on the mobility board. Um, these are needs specifically addressed in the concept network. During phase two engagement, we anticipate continuing to hear feedback on how well the network is meeting these needs and also hearing if there are other major needs that are identified or should be identified um, during this phase of engagement. Next slide, please. So um, in this slide, I, I will go through a bit more in slightly more detail on how um, the concept network responded to each one of those six mobility needs. So the first need here um, is providing more east-west connections, which we have heard that uh, Shoreline, City of Shoreline have also heard similar themes from their engagement. Um, the concept network that we are showing at this moment includes seven new and revised routes that are making all-day east-west connections throughout the study area. So, for example, we have new east-west connections in Shoreline across 145th, um, 175th, 185th, 205th, um, and also we're maintaining the existing east-west connections between Canmore, Lake Forest Park, and Shoreline uh, with new concept route that even improves frequencies as well as span of service. The second need we have heard is um, provide service where needs are the greatest, particularly uh, prioritize route pathways that serve community-identified destinations, equity priority areas, and locations with planned dense housing development by 2026. And this is where I will point back to what I just said earlier. We have heard those community destinations throughout Phase 1 engagement and also have heard from City of Shoreline staff about uh, planned dense housing development by 2026, and those have been considered and included into our concept development uh, process and is showing up in the way that we have designed the network. The next need here is about running buses later into the night, so really improving night service, particularly where there is gap. Um, an example of filling this gap in the night service is the replacement of the 331, which currently stops service after 7 p.m. So in this concept network, Route 333 and 334, both would extend night service to the 11th or the 12th hour in the evening. Um, and overall, just to note that this concept network's average span of service for all the all-day bus services um, has improved by approximately 40 minutes. And this next need is to maintain and improve frequency on routes that connect major destinations, have higher ridership, and connect to link and or other frequent services, such as the BRT, um, the E-Line, 
um, and the link. So in comparing the number of people who could access frequent routes between the existing and the concept network, the concept network is showing 19% more people with access to frequent service within the study area. And this is largely due to not only sound transit investments, um, they're bringing you know, high capacity, high frequency transit services into this area, but also some of the intentional network changes that we have made, um, as you can see um, in this concept map on the right. Um, the next need here is to improve and provide more bus trips on weekends. Uh, we have heard from communities' desire to improve weekend service, also identify where gaps exist and fill those gaps. So one example of this is the Route 372 from Lake City North along the 522 corridor, which does not run on weekends. Um, the new Route 324, which will replace this portion of the Route 372, uh, will provide, would provide a new local weekend service that the 372 does not provide um, in this current network, in today's current network. All right, so this last need here is um, providing reliable and convenient transfers, um, particularly to link and between major destinations. Um, we note that this is also another consistent theme between what we are hearing from our project and what City of Shoreline is hearing from their engagement effort. Um, so in the concept network, we have tried to provide frequent to frequent service and ensuring frequent to frequent transfers to and from Link Library and major destinations when possible. As you can see in the concept map, um, around the link stations, you generally are seeing those frequent routes connecting to them. Um, and also, for example, between Shoreline Community College and Lake City, uh, this connection is now made by two very frequent routes, which can help ensure the transfer times is um, minimized, as minimized as possible. And um, just to note before we go on to the next slide that we have heard additional needs um, during our project engagement during phase one, for example, ensuring convenient access getting to and from transit stops, uh, improving safety and comfort at transit stops while riding the bus or train, and improving transit travel time to and from major destinations. Um, we'll continue to address these within Metro and with our partners. Um, the reason why they're not listed here is because they are generally not directly um, addressable by the concept network, but they are very important feedback for our agency. And there are many efforts to address these, um, these needs that have been elevated. For example, we are working with the city and within Metro to elevate transit access needs and many of these transit access improvements actually involves partnership with cities. So we look forward to partnering with you all and many other jurisdictions as well in addressing those needs. And also on the safety and um, comfort at transit stops and while riding the bus or train. Um, in January, 2021, King County Metro have actually begun an agency-wide safety, security and fear enforcement reform initiative. And that initiative is still ongoing and also in our current 2023 and 2024 biennium budget, which recently passed, the safety of our writers and employee has been identified as one of the priorities. 
So just to give you all some examples of that and wanted to ensure, uh, and wanted to assure you all that this, these additional needs, even though not directly addressing the concept network, are being taken into our daily work and um, being addressed at an agency level and with partners. All right. So I want to just spend a quick moment um, to help distinguish this lingual link network and share more about its relationship with the Metro Connects network. So it is important to distinguish that the two are different. The lingual link connections network is neither the interim nor the 2050 Metro Connects network. And there are several key differences as outlined in this table. First, Metro Connect is a long-term vision, whereas the lingual link network is a near-term network that we're looking to implement in the next three years. While the Metro Connects is um, a long-term network, it is unfunded. Um, full implementation does require additional funding beyond what the current system service hours actually have. On the other hand, Lingwood Link Network is funded and the project budget is clearly defined and includes the existing and suspended service hours from the Lingwood Link project routes. Um, because again, Metro Connect being a long-term vision and unfunded, um, it also, it also is unconstrained by existing capital infrastructure. Um, it is acknowledged that the full implementation does require significant capital infrastructure investments. For example, many of the new routes, they cannot just be running um, without any new stops, new layovers, or even some um, pathway improvements to ensure they fit buses. On the other hand, Lingwood Link, because this is a near-term network we're looking to implement in the next three years, um, there, is, there is capital constraint, as mentioned earlier. Um, last distinction here in the table, the design of the Metro Connects network is driven both by you know, what we understand as the existing needs, but also, uh, very importantly, what the potential population growth and then use changes could be in the long run. Um, because again, Lingwood Link Network is a near-term network. It is very much driven by existing community needs, priorities, and current and near-term demand. So I want to just emphasize that while major network restructures, such as the Lingwood Link Connections Mobility Project, are an opportunity to move towards Metro Connects um, because it is grounded in meeting current needs, um, current near-term needs, community engagements that are conducted as part of this project does drive our network changes to ensure they respond to these needs. So even though Lingwood Link Connections is a near-term network and we have to make trade-off decisions and will not be able to deliver, you know, service levels obviously outlined in the long-term plans, but there are many notable areas of the Lingwood Link Network, as is currently shown in the concept network, um, that will progress towards Metro Connects and long-term vision. So I just want to list some examples here for you. First of all, um, we are showing frequent service now on North 185th Street and 15th Avenue Northeast, uh, north of North City. 
Um, this portion currently has 20, 30 minute service and um, it is all day service provided by the 348. And the concept network is proposing an increasing service level here. Um, and the second is um, we are showing now peak frequent, that means 15 minutes during peak, 20 minutes or 30 minutes during off-peak service. That is all day and all week along the North 145th Street between Aurora Avenue and the 148th Station. This segment currently only have very limited peak-only service provided by the peak-only Route 304. Um, and in the concept network, we are seeing, we are showing a increase in level of service here as well as the span and the availability of service throughout the week. Um, we acknowledge that there are future developments near the future 148 station and most of those developments will also now have walking distance to the future 148th light rail station. Um, and would also, be, via that connection, have access to many of the frequent uh, routes proposed in the concept network, such as the 72, the 333, and also the 522 BRT. Um, and last example here is, you know, we're showing peak frequent service on Ballander Way, 15th Avenue Northeast, and um, peak frequent service, sorry, peak frequent service on 15th Avenue Northeast and North 175th Street with longer span of service. So that is created by that Route 334 there. Um, and this, this corridor actually looks very similar to um, the Metro Connects corridor and the change or the difference there is really to try and connect to the Mount Lake Terrace station, which seems like a very good opportunity for a link connections, additional link connections for these communities that are connected by this route. Um, and you know, the 333 and the 334, it's worth noting that they are both connected, uh, they're both now providing longer span of service um, for riders, as mentioned earlier, that improves night service. So overall in Shoreline, the concept network proposals um, proposes several bump ups in the local bus frequency with handful of routes that connect to major destinations in key density areas, um, which it is a improvement for, um, for a suburban community that we have not frequently seen in the past. Next slide, please. So, with these improvements, as mentioned um, earlier about the constraints of budget, um, with these improvements, we are needing to find opportunities to reduce service because, because this is an exercise of moving and reallocating service as part of this project. So there are three major themes in how resources have been moved, leading to changes in the concept network. The first one is we have reduced peak only services to improve all day and frequent service. Um, so in this concept network, we are currently proposing only two peak only routes. Um, and this allows us to put more resources into these east-west connections as well as all day and all week service. The second shift in resource is um, shifting north-south connections um, to east-west connections. So link improves 
the north-south spine significantly by introducing a very frequent high-capacity transit. And so um, this gives us the opportunity to look at reallocating some of those north-south routes services to improve these east-west connections as well as all day and all week service. Um, an example of that is the replacement of 301 and 304, which currently provide express peak-only connections between Shoreline and Northgate. And this connection is now served by Link. And then last, um, this is also key in uh, allowing us to accomplish some of these um, changes in the concept network, and that is re reduce unproductive and low ridership services um, to increase not only frequent service, as shown in the slide, but also be invested into those east-west connections all day and all week service um, to address those six mobility needs. So service adjustments to better match service with demand allows Metro to make more efficient use of our limited service, our resources. Um, in this concept network, there are several locations that have very low ridership. And one example of that um, is the Route 346, where along the Meridian portion um, that has been shown as removed in this concept network has very low ridership of um, four daily rider, uh, four daily boardings, even in the fall of 2019. So fixed route service may not be the most efficient use of resources and, and the most efficient tools to address travel needs in this low ridership area. So that's why in the concept network, we are currently showing um, a rebalancing resources away from this corridor to allow Metro to meet uh, mobility needs that are identified. So I uh, want to note that uh, with many of these changes proposed in the concept network, uh, we are already hearing from many writers and communities regarding what is working well and what are some potential gaps that the concept network is not addressing or creating. And this is exactly why we're here doing this phase two outreach. Um, we will be taking all these comments that we gathered during this phase into consideration and we'll look at further updating and changing the network. Um, and then everyone will have a chance again during phase three um, to review these possible updates and changes. And so um, that being said, I'll hand off um, to Luke to talk more about our phase two engagement activities for this project. Thanks, Yingying. Hi, Luke, community engagement, uh, briefly talking about phase two. So during phase two, uh, as Yingying Ying said, this is the first time the public gets to review the network. Um, so it includes a few different outreach uh, strategies and items than our phase one work. We're still mainly collecting feedback through an online survey, which has seen very good engagement so far. We've also partnered with local community-based organizations to support our outreach and are hosting a few really specific meetings with community groups, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, so far, we've hosted two of our three virtual open houses. Uh, they do include live interpretation, and we'll have our third and final one on February 27th. Um, after this engagement ends, we'll go over the results with our mobility board and partner review board, like we did after phase one, to help evaluate and prioritize the feedback to develop that phase three proposal. 
So I won't go through all of this, but a few items that I do want to highlight from our general outreach. Uh, one being the amount of in-person outreach we have during this phase, primarily at transit centers, park and rides, high ridership locations, and some of those gap areas Yingying Ying spoke to earlier. In total, we have about 15 hours per week for the entire project, just in that one element of outreach. Also, I mentioned that direct engagement with key communities. Uh, last week, we held a meeting with income eligible, senior and accessible housing providers, including King County Housing Authority staff who work in Shoreline, really focused on possible network changes near their properties and promoting the feedback opportunity to residents. Uh, this week and next week, we're also hosting similar meetings focused on schools, and we will have uh, representatives from Shoreline College as well as Shoreline School District and some specific Shoreline schools um, in attendance for those meetings. Lastly, we have established uh, paid partnerships with local community-based organizations for this phase. We have four groups working with us. Um, one I saw represented during a proclamation before this meeting, uh, and two of them are based in doing that outreach in Shoreline, uh, Compass Housing and Black Coffee Northwest. These partnerships are really trying to integrate our work into the outreach and engagement that these organizations are already doing um, in their and your communities. So with a special focus on priority populations. In addition to promoting the survey and our other engagement opportunities, they will also be providing uh, qualitative feedback to us at the end. And so we're just about halfway through this uh, phase two engagement. And so we're checking in with our CBO organizations again now to figure out how things are going, uh, what we need to do better or more of uh, in the coming months that we have left in this phase two. So our survey is open through March 10th. Uh, it's available in our 12 project languages listed here. If there are other language access needs, we'll absolutely work uh, to make that available. As I said, our final, final virtual open house is Monday, February 27th at 6 p.m. Uh, these are really great opportunities for folks to ask very detailed and specific questions from our project team, both on routes and engagement work. We have live interpretation arranged for Spanish, Mandarin, and Cantonese. And if there are any other interpretation needs uh, with uh, two or three days notice, we can arrange those and make those available as well. Lastly, I just want to say we're always looking for ways to improve and incorporate more voices in our work. Uh, and it's fantastic to see the level of engagement that's happening around our phase two. And we're also always looking to find more or better ways to ensure our riders and our communities uh, are involved in this work. And with that, I will hand it back to Amanda. Thank you. And Natasha, I think that you were going to run questions from Council. Yeah, thank you all very much for the, the presentation. Um, and I can see from some of the slides that some of the staff conversations that we've had, you're, you're trying to address some of those things which were reflected uh, in the staff report. So yeah, at, at this point for Council, um, if, if there are Council questions, um, again, appreciate the going into more depth. Um, I know we raised some concerns in our staff report. Um, so I'll, I'll turn it over to, to Council for any questions. Thank you. Questions or comments from Council? Councilor Roberts. 
thank you, Mayor, and uh, thank you to the team from King County Metro for giving us this presentation. And I'm hopeful and optimistic that there has been lots of people in Shoreline who have participated in the survey and participated in the open houses that you've put on here. I do, I'll preface my comments to sort of say that I know that Metro, like all other transit agencies across the country, are facing constraints. I mean, we don't, there's not necessarily enough dollars and resources that come from the federal and state government to fund the transit service that we want. And so we are limited in what we, in what you can propose and what you can do. That being said, uh, there's a couple comments that I would like to uh, sort of push for and then a couple su specific suggestions since I have the microphone. Um, the first is uh, I do disagree with the way King County and many other transit agencies across the country have defined the term frequency. 15 minute frequency is really not frequent. The best thing that I've heard and read recently about how to understand frequency uh, is this comment that again it came across a couple weeks a couple this past week I believe if I need to consider a schedule it's not frequent if I will regularly run to catch one a bus even if it puts me in danger it's not frequent so when we think about frequency it really it, we have to it has to be within that five to ten minutes stretch where people don't have to think about going okay when did I miss my bus or do I need to when do I need to go out to go to the bus stop to catch the bus that's that's frequent and to say anything else 15 minute service is not frequent we understand as a transit rider I understand that there is a time penalty attached to taking transit versus jumping in my car and going where I need to but if I have to consider a schedule, when I consider the considering a schedule and also the time period makes it less likely and less desirable for me to go take transit, even if it's nearby where my where I live or where I work. So I know I'm just passing it on, but I mean, and you're just the messengers. But uh, we, ha I think, when we use the words like frequent, that ha we really need to say what frequent is. I mean. Um, so, but I do have three quick route suggestions um, in the proposed network, um, in this, in the ideal network. Uh, route 65 um, sort of stops short of 145th. The, that Route 65 should go continue all the way to Shoreline Community College. It's a small detour, or a small, not, not detour, but it's an important destination that I think needs to be served. And sort of a loop around 145th doesn't make any sense. Uh, the 334 really looks like it should be two routes on the map. One sort of focused in shoreline to the Montlake Terrace uh, Transit Center, and then one from the Montlake Terrace Transit Center all the way to Kenmore and Bothell. Um, and then uh, the 336. I have never understood this with the current routing uh, in shoreline, but the fact that the 336 goes up Fifth Avenue, then at 175th jogs over to 15th and then comes back to the 185th Transit Center is going to be a long detour for people who live in the Ridgecrest neighborhood and want to go directly to the, the uh, light rail station at 185th. To sort of take a five minute detour when you're 10 blocks away from the station really doesn't make any sense. I know that's the current routing, but it just never made sense to me that that route went that way. So. Those are my three suggestions, and I appreciate the time that you've taken to uh, hear our feedback. Thank you, Mayor. 
Thank you. Other questions or comments? Deputy Mayor. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for being here tonight for the thorough pre presentation. Um, I should say that I am, have the honor of being one of the SCA uh, appointees to the RTC. So I get to dabble in this subject matter, perhaps a little bit more than my colleagues. Um, so just a couple of questions for you is, you know, starting, you talked about doing outreach and I appreciate <clears throat> the number the schools and the community organizations that you're working with. Do you have any way of knowing how many shoreline residents, what kind of engagement you're getting from individuals who might not be affiliated with organizations? Yeah, sure. Thanks for that that question. So you mean just uh, general general public uh, responses? Correct. Yes. Um, I, I will say that when our engagement data is coming in, it's not cleaned. Um, so our research scientist definitely likes to have uh, some time to make sure and sort through and clean that data. Uh, we do kind of loosely track it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's a hundred percent reliable as when we've had the time to go through it and sort it. But we are looking at uh, where people are responding, and we really plan our outreach throughout the project areas. Uh, so we get a lot of in-person outreach, a lot of organizations, a lot of very specific targeted outreach. Um, in shoreline uh, so we do we do see that but I wouldn't say any final numbers until uh, our research scientist who's the professional can can tell me that understood um, and on that note we do really appreciate the organizations that you are working with deliberately in our community um, another question just about it, we keep coming back to it and I know you addressed it in the presentation about frequency on 145th and not to not to sound difficult I know and I know you've talked to our economic development um, representative you know about the development that's happening there I want to ask that this is the very simple question if anybody from your staff has had the chance to drive through it and just sense that urgency of this is actually happening and it's happening very soon um, so I'd like to just ask that question, which, you know, I don't mean to be snarky by asking that, um, but at what point might you consider revisiting the frequency on 145th? Deputy Mayor Robinson, I just want to say thank you for that comment. And yes, we do go out. We want to understand the areas that we're um, we're planning around, so so we have gone and we have seen it, and we wanted to say a special thank you to the Shoreline staff, Natasha, Jim, um, and Nathan, for taking the time to walk us through specifically with the development that's coming up. And as Ying mentioned earlier, we did include that in in our considerations for the proposed network. I see Ying off mute now. Did you want to speak to that? Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Um, I can definitely speak to that more, particularly around your last question about like when and how um, the, I guess, the service will address future developments, especially I think I want to distinguish the fact that, you know, we are considering near-term developments that we do know that is shared with us from City of Shoreline staff, um, from Nathan, about the, you know, developments occurring before 2026. But develop, I'm, I'm sure there are developments going beyond that as well as things that are ongoing and populations are growing in your city um, and I just want to note that Metro does have policy and provide very clear guidance on how we should prioritize service growth to respond to increasing demands based on the service guidelines so we have 
um, annual system valuations and routes are identified through that process to receive investments of any available service through um, the three priorities. One is crowding, one is reliability, and also the service growth. So um, large amount of new housing coming online will definitely likely increase the priority matrix of shoreline routes um, to inform the prioritization of service growth via the service guidelines. And of course, if you're seeing a route that is really well used because of just a lot of demand, a lot of new residents, um, those would either, either trigger even the crowding and reliability investments, which are prioritized. So um, even though right now, as you may know, the service restoration is still Metro's immediate priority, uh, Metro will be looking at system-wide growth after the system is fully restored. Um, and there may very well be future network restructures um, if triggered by events outlined in the service guidelines that can either uh, lead to further um, service changes and in many cases possible in, you know, increasing frequencies at that time to match the service demand um, and make progress towards Metro Connects. So I uh, hope that sort of answers that second part of the question there. Thank you. Um, I did have one final quick question, and that is I know there's been a lot of effort put towards um, hiring and bringing on new staff, new drivers. Uh, do you have an update on how well that's going? We don't have specific numbers tonight, Council Member, um, but I can follow up after this presentation. But I will say that we are we are really focusing on this. Our operators are our heroes. They're the ones who deliver the service for our residents. And so we have taken a concerted effort in looking at our training programs, making sure that people are getting through the programs, their graduation rates have increased. So I can follow up after this with specific numbers, but we are making progress. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember McConnell. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you very much for, for the, the whole team showing up today. And um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of ridership on this dais that I know of. Uh, we had one council member who frequented, you know, accessing, uh, getting to work downtown on um, the bus. And so she really offered a lot of valuable information. I have forced myself to use the bus on occasion and I think anybody who uses the bus just always fact, factors in 15 minutes, if not longer, of missing the bus and uh, hope, hoping that uh, the next one comes soon enough that they don't, they're not late for work. So I, I think it's um, really going to be hard to have any service that's that frequent that we don't break the bank on bus fares because we still need to make it affordable for the people that really need it. I have a car. I, you know, I'm using it because it's going to be convenient to go to the football game or something. But the people who, who I see on the buses look like this is their mode of transportation. So uh, it, it needs to be a balance of uh, frequency, but I think the, the fare itself is going to be really important. The other thing that I know, um, the 185th MUR 70 uh, changes is happening before the 145th because as a council we actually finished that work and I've been driving there for lots of reasons and there's a block that's all done I mean it's a big block uh, 189th to about uh, 
8th Avenue Northeast. And I've seen the renderings because, again, I, um, I also own a piece of property. So I've been very involved in seeing what's happening before it actually comes up. And it's going to be really frightening if we don't get really good um, public transportation because there's so many more people going to be in our city. And um, we really just need to make sure that they can get downtown or uptown or <laughs> or to the community college without being really frustrated. So I appreciate that you're going to constantly continue to get community input, which is really important, and um, regular reevaluation as the big buildings start coming up, which will be hundreds of people all of a sudden, you know, within a, probably a, a month or two. And uh, um, and so I look forward to continuing to hear your updates and will force myself to try to take that bus now and then. I mean, it's really cool uh, when you don't have a car. <laughs> so at least you don't have to walk <laughs> or Uber. Uh, but uh, it's a whole different thing when that's all you can. Uh, that's the only way you're going to get around. So I really appreciate that you you um, are really trying to address that population more than the rest of us. Thank you very much. Councilmember Mork. Uh, Council thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you so much for the presentation. I really appreciate the time that you spent in putting it together. And I'm really delighted to see Mount Lake Terrace Station also in it because we are all going to be going back and forth. My specific question, however, uh, you pointed on the map very close to where I live, and I see people waiting at the bus stop all the time. And they come every half hour, so they wait a very long time. And I can see why there's not very much ridership when you have to wait a half an hour. But I, I see the buses. There are people on the buses. Um, I'm speaking specifically for Hillwood and Richmond Highlands. Uh, but also I could be speaking about Meridian Avenue, uh, both of which uh, Ms. Walter has brought up in, in some of the staff comments. What, what are people to do in those areas where their route is eliminated and that's their mode of transportation that they wait a half an hour for routinely? Yeah. Thank you, Councilmember, for your comments on that. And it is true that um, this sort of an induced demand situation um, where some, in some cases when there is better frequencies, you will likely also see higher um, usage. Um, I would just want to point out that, you know, ridership considerations and the um, data and analysis portion of our concept network input is really part of the concept network input. It is not all of it. We are hearing communities uh, and from communities about the gaps in service that are important to address. And we are currently in phase two in the midst of this. Um, we are going to consider all these comments along with the data that we have um, and to make a decision based on, you know, what is really the needs that we need to address and I also want to point out that um, in some areas that we are maybe considering reducing service, um, if there are very strong needs and yet there is maybe just low ridership due to the land use and the type of, um, type of land use that we have there, 
then in our phase two process and phase three, we are actually now having more certainties around our 2023 and 2024 budget where we can start to look at maybe some additional um, solutions and tools to address um, the mobility needs that are beyond just fixed route. More to come on that um, when we are, you know, a little bit farther into phase two. And I just want to note that we are, we are here to listen to the community's needs. And um, we are in this current process during phase two to adjust our network based on those, what we heard. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure you answered the question. So let me try okay. again. Sorry. Uh, the, I really appreciate what you're saying and I, that um, in lower use areas, um, there, there isn't the ridership perhaps that can pay for uh, going on those routes, but that's the route for the people who take it there. They, they are there, they wait for it, it is their, their way. Are, are, is what you're saying that uh, if people are concerned that their route is going away, that they need to be actively involved in putting in communication? Is that their avenue to try to uh, ensure that they have ongoing bus transportation? Um, I will leave, maybe have Luke also answer more about the engagement side of this, but I just want to point out that because we are um, developing a network with a limited set of budget, and it is a budget neutral situation as mentioned earlier, um, this sort of becomes a trade-off. Um, it is difficult to achieve both coverage, meaning, you know, maintaining all of our existing routes and where they go, while also increasing frequencies and providing new coverage. Uh, when we don't have new resources. So I just want to point that out and I will hand it off to Luke maybe to talk more about how we're intending to engage with communities, both how they can reach us and how we reach them. And I may, I may jump in just really briefly uh, before we jump to Luke, because I, I really appreciate this question because it gets to the heart of what these processes are intended to do, these planning processes. And that um, as Ying Ying uh, mentioned, you know, with uh, with these projects, we do have the we do have a lot of trade offs between providing more service in certain areas and then less service in others. And there's really going to uh, be no perfect solution uh, within a constrained funding environment. And that's that's the uh, really the challenge that we have ahead of us. And so, um, what we are really interested in is trying to find the best fit for this area. Um, recognizing that um, that will impact people both positively and potentially negatively. Um, so we are very interested in learning more from uh, from constituents, um, from community, um, and reaching people to understand um, the specific challenges of the specific route they may be riding and uh, also working to see if there are other services that might also meet their needs, even if it's not their current bus that they're riding, it may be another bus. It could potentially be um, something that is uh, a flexible service. Um, it could be uh, a number of different things where their trip might be different 
Um, but still, us really focusing uh, on the need is where we're trying to really focus on here in this process. Um, and there, there are certainly difficult choices for this. So, um, to your to your question there, and I know Luke is is way more actively involved in the um, in the community engagement uh, in this in this area. Um, but we are certainly really excited to um, talk with folks um, to learn more about folks. To, to really supplement the data and the information that we have on the ridership. We recognize that's, um, as Ying said, also only part of the story. Um, so we uh, do want to learn more. Um, and we also uh, want to uh, figure out if there's, uh, if there's alternate solutions that can actually bring more transit to, uh, to more folks um, while also not leaving, not leaving people behind. So with that, I'll, I'll hand it over to Luke to, to speak a bit more. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Yingying and Graydon. Thanks for the question. And yes, I mean, the more feedback and the more detailed feedback we get, it's really, really helpful, um, especially looking at those origins and destinations. And council member, you mentioned your your neighborhoods and your streets and your stops. All of that information is super vital for us um, because it allows us to really dive into the network in a, in a very detailed way that just, you know, this street that's 20 blocks long doesn't necessarily give us the information that we need to learn uh, where people are traveling from and where they're traveling to. So um, absolutely, we love to have as many voices um, included in this process as, as possible. Thank you. I really appreciate Ray's time. Councilman Ramstone. Thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, in the vein of uh, we were wanting to know some more information from uh, our riders, I did, used to take a 304 every morning for several years from, the, from down 145th uh, to downtown. And I would get on right around the Bitter Lake uh, post office, and I'd be maybe, there'd be maybe three or four uh, riders on that, on that bus. And by the time we reached I-5, it was a packed bus with standing room only. So um, uh, I'd just like to reiterate, reiterate my concerns uh, that um, the staff had mentioned, as well as uh, Deputy Mayor Robertson, regarding uh, concerns about like, what's, what will happen on 145th as development uh, increases. Um, um, we, there is going to be some development uh, on the corner of 145th and Greenwood. Uh, some townhouses and apartment buildings are currently being constructed. Also, Walsh Construction is building a 200-unit low-income um, um, uh, apartment complex on 143rd in Linden. So I'm expecting there's going to be significant increase in in ridership uh, for that for that line. It looks like this. Uh, the 65 is the one that will be addressing some of that house high density areas on 143rd and Linden um, where, where, so, where some of those low income apartments are being uh, constructed currently. Um, which is, which, which kind of makes me wonder, like for people who are living um, like myself in kind of that southwest area of Shoreline, if uh, it seems it could be almost, it would be better to jump on the 65 and, and go to the 130th and actually um, uh, try to make your way um, really, there's, if there's really no option after peak hours, then then you really need you needed to take that 65. So um, as as uh, more um, uh, development occurs along that 145th corridor, I really hope that um, the metro will really look look carefully at the data and and really solicit it, solicit information both from the shoreline side as well as the Seattle side because that 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 uh, that route uh, will be uh, does uh, provide services for both both sides of the of the border. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Mayor. Just a quick one. Just want to compliment you from uh, addressing some of the issues we raised from the last last Friday's meeting and also from the staff report. Uh, one of the things I just want to uh, reiterate is transfer. There's nothing more exciting than getting off the bus and knowing that the next one is coming in the next two to three minutes. It's just exci exciting because from 2014 all the way through 2018, I jump on 301 King County and then jump on Sound Transit 594 and then Pierce Transit 57. So I get to ride through the three counties maybe on the bus every day. And it was exciting because I knew that it was reliable. We have several um, connections coming through Shoreline Community College, but through the map, I didn't see any future bus going from 145th to Shoreline Community College. Maybe it's there. I just want to say if we can have one going directly there, that would be fantastic. Thank you. All right, well, I just add a, another pitch for at least short-term service on 145th, and that's because that road is not currently navigable to anyone who's, who's human-powered. If you're in great shape, you can do it, and it's scary and intimidating. If you are at all mobility-impaired, it simply is impassable. And we're aware of it. We've been working on it for over a decade. We will hopefully get that road fixed, and we're going to start doing it in sections. But for the time being, if you live in there and you are mobility-impaired and you don't have a car, the only option is, if you want frequent services, to go up to 155th which sounds great, but there's a big old hill there. And it really means that there's a section of our city, a section that's developing and a section that's developing with some great low-income projects that's really cut off from, from both ways to get to BRT. So when that road is fixed, it's a different matter. But for now, I'd encourage you to look at that through an equity lens as well as through the ridership lens. But that said, thank you for all this. And I really, really appreciate the focus on east-west corridors. Those of us who have been up here for a while, when we first started bouncing all these ideas around, one of our big worries is that Metro was not going to be responsive to the need to radically change what, how we look at the orientation of transit from north-south to east-west. And I'm very grateful that you've done that, along with the work you've done on equity, which is also fantastic. And I'm grateful that you've brought that to shoreline and focused on equity within our region, as well as equity across regions. Any other questions or comments from council? Thank you all very much for coming in. Thank you, Ms. Walters. Thank you so much for your time this evening. And I just want to say that we did capture all the feedback. And just thank you so much for having an honest and transparent conversation with us about the feedback, um, especially giving us those specific chunks um, in neighborhoods and routes that you're, that you're hoping to see more on. And we do absolutely hear you. And we will take that and ensure that we are responsive to that in our next phase. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you again. All right, next up we have study item 8B, which is an update on Sound Transit State Route 522, 145th Street Bus Rapid Transit Project. And I believe Ms. Walters is making the introductions again. I want to welcome all of you, and I want to let you know that we are very good about reading the staff reports. And I noticed there's a lot of slides. I appreciate that. We're looking forward to your presentation. We're also hoping we have some substantial time at the end to, to be able to ask questions. Uh, thank you. So I, I will do introductions again. And now we're going to focus on the other side of 145th, <laughs> as well as service that Sound Transit through their Stride um, Bus Rapid Transit Program is bringing to Shoreline and connecting the 148th light rail station via State Route 523 or 145th to our sister cities of Kenmore, Lake Forest, Bothell. Um, and we are we have been working with this team um, 
and I've, I've worked with Rick on many, had many, many meetings with Rick, and it's nice to meet Faith. Um, but we, again, appreciate working hand-in-hand in partnership with Sound Transit to make improvements, and we'll be talking about some of the specific stations. They call them stations, not stops, because of the robust high-capacity transit service that's coming and improvements um, around those stations. Um, they are at 60% design. I won't steal their thunder. But, again, appreciate them coming and listening <laughs> for quite a while to our Metro presentation. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to uh, Rick, and I think if you guys both introduce yourselves again, that would be great. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Natasha. Can you hear me okay? Yes. yes thank you. Great. Fantastic. All right. Well, good evening, Deputy Mayor, Mayor, and Council members. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening with you all. Uh, I did also want to say it was great to see our King County Metro team members in the presentation before, and it was very informative uh, for us. So uh, a shout out to them. Um, my name is Rick Kapka. I work for Sound Transit. I'm the Deputy Program Executive for the Stride Bus Rapid Transit Program. And joining me this evening is my colleague, Faith Rowland. Faith is Sound Transit's Real Property Director. And I, we also are joined by Ariel, Ariel Taylor. Ariel is Sound Transit's Government and Community Relations Manager. So Ariel is running the slides behind the scenes here today. Uh, next slide, Ariel. Okay, so uh, why are we here this evening? Uh, first, I'm going to give you a very brief kind of refresh or revisit to how Sound Transit's SR-522 transit project came to be. Um, I'm going to also provide you a kind of a brief overview of the Stride Bus Rapid Transit program in its entirety. And then I'll touch on some um, upcoming community engagement opportunities uh, that we've got. And then I'm going to hand it over to Faith, and Faith's going to give you an overview of Sound Transit's uh, property acquisition process. And we, I think we got about 20 minutes for this presentation, so we'll try and uh, keep it concise. Uh, next slide. Okay, so first let's talk about uh, how the Bus Rapid Transit Project came to be. Next slide. So back in 2016, uh, you, you may recall the communities along the 522 corridor advocated for better high-capacity transit. Uh, the photo on the right shows some of the community members in yellow uh, 522 Transit Now shirts at one of the Sound Transit board meetings in 2016. Uh, consequently, the SR 522 Northeast 145th Street Bus Rapid Transit Project was included in the ST3 package, and that package was approved by voters in November of 2016. Uh, so let's fast forward to 2021 as part of the Sound Transit Board realignment plan. And that's where the agency reevaluated the ST3 plan to ensure it remained affordable. Uh, the 522 project was designated a Tier 1 project. And what that means is that the Sound Transit Board made it a top priority and that they wanted us to move forward with it expeditiously. And that's why we are here today in part to talk, talk to you about the progress we're making. Uh, last thing I'll mention just for context is the 522 BRT project or bus rapid transit project is also referred to as the S3 line, and you're going to see that in some of the subsequent slides. Okay, next slide. All right, I'm going to give you an overview of the entire BRT program here in a slide or two. Next slide, thank you. So when we're up and running, the Stride service is going to operate on three distinct service lines. Uh, we're going to have S1, which you can see on the map. S1 will run along 405 from Burien up to Bellevue. 
Uh, we'll have S2. S2 will intersect there in Bellevue and run all the way up on 405 to Linwood. And then we get, we get the S3 line. S3 will run from Shoreline on the west side all the way over to Bothell. And that will run on the northeast 145th Street in the SR522 corridor. S3 will serve the city of Shoreline at three specific station locations. Um, our Shoreline South Light Rail Station at 148th. And then we've got a station at both 15th Avenue Northeast, as well as one at 30th Avenue Northeast on uh, Northeast 145th. In addition to the service lines, I want to mention the project is going to be building a new bus operations and maintenance facility. If you look at the map, it's in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, we call it Bus Base North. It is located in the Canyon Park Business Center within the city of Bothell. Um, and the last thing I want to mention on this slide is uh, we will ultimately be connecting riders to four different light rail stations throughout the region. Uh, we mentioned Shoreline. We will also connect up in Linwood, over in Bellevue, and down in Tequila. Uh, we're about at 60% uh, design for the overall stride program, and we are currently trending towards a start of service date in the 2027 timeframe. Uh, next slide, Ariel. Okay, I'm going to talk just for two slides about some of the elements of uh, bus rapid transit for Stride. Next slide. So what does BRT mean? Well, it means fast, frequent, and reliable service. Along S3, buses will run every 10 minutes, and the stations will have amenities similar to our light rail stations, including near-level boarding, off-fare collection, off-board fare collection, as well as real-time arrival and departure information for the riders. Uh, several key features that will ensure reliable travel times include bus queue bypass lanes, which we have some of those on, on Northeast 145th. Uh, we'll have transit signal priority, uh, which will give stride buses a head start at intersections to bypass traffic congestion. Uh, and we will also uh, complete the dedicated bus-only lanes along the SR522 portion of the S3 line. And before leaving this slide, I want to mention one other um, effort that San Trans is working on with the City of Shoreline staff. We have some potential non-motorized access improvements uh, that will help folks get to our stations. Uh, and that funding will come through San Trans's Access Allowance Project. Uh, currently, there are two projects under consideration within the City of Shoreline. Uh, one includes sidewalks along 30th Avenue Northeast. Uh, that will connect uh, 145th and 147th. And we're also looking at bike sharrows on 28th Avenue Northeast uh, from 145th up to 150th. Just wanted to mention those two, two additional projects that we're working on. Uh, next slide. Okay, so I want to give you a little perspective on what the stations and the buses are going to look like. So the upper right-hand corner gives you a rendering of what our BRT stations will be, as I mentioned in the previous slide, similar to our light rail stations. Uh, they will also, most of the S3 stations will also be long enough for two buses to serve the station at the same time. And that's because in addition to the Sound Transit Stride buses, we will have King County Metro buses uh, serving some of the stations as well. Uh, for the buses specifically, I'm really excited to mention that we're going to be rolling out a fully electric fleet uh, so we will be using double-deck coaches for the S1 and S2 lines along 405, and we will have articulated buses for our S3 line. 
with a fully electric fleet. Uh, we will be in installing battery charging in infrastructure at both ends of each of the service lines. So we will have some charging infrastructure that will go in at the South Shoreline Station uh, for the west end of S3. Uh, next slide. Okay, before handing over to Faith, I wanted to note that we are currently planning several community engagement opportunities for the project. Next slide. So first, we are preparing to roll out an online open house uh, for the project. It's going to start in late February, and it's going to go through early April. Uh, this will be followed by an in-person drop-in session specifically for uh, Seattle and Shoreline. It's going to be on April 5th. Uh, we haven't yet decided the location. Uh, we will provide you with that information as soon as we, we nail that down. And then the last thing I want to mention here is we, we have been and we will continue to engage individually with property owners as well as interested community members along the corridor to discuss the project uh, answer questions they have and, and just you know keep them informed as, as we move forward and with that i'm going to hand it over to faith thanks rick and uh thank you for the opportunity to uh to see uh some of you again and some of you for the first time i'm faith roland as rick said and i am the director of real property here at uh, sound transit uh, go ahead and shift to the next slide as i tell you why we should help you understand and, and share information about uh, the acquisition process. It's scary to people. We know that, you know, we're, we're working uh, with folks every day uh, that, that may or may not want to talk to us. And so I really do want you to, to have a sense of how we, um, when we do need to acquire property, how we work with property owners. And really the first thing I like to share with you is my job is really simple. I treat everyone fairly and with respect and consistently every day. Uh, we spend tax dollars wisely, you know, grant dollars. Uh, we account for those dollars and, and document uh, the, the expenditures. And we only acquire the rights, uh, the property rights that we need to build, operate, and maintain our transit system following the board's uh, authorization to do so. Next slide, please. I have a lot of rules uh, in the acquisition process. And our guidance comes from the Uniform Relocation Assistance and Real Property Acquisition Policy Act. That's a long word or way of saying the Uniform Act. Um, our board policy, Sound Transit's written acquisition procedures uh, for acquisition and relocation. We have the Federal Transit Authorities, uh, FTA circular, state laws, uh, and statutes affecting public land acquisition and eminent domain. I bet a lot of you don't know that the Uniform Act has 243 times it uses the word shall and directs us to what we have to do. And there's also 244 times it says may. Uh, so I have a lot of requirements uh, designated to protect those that are impacted uh, by our projects, but we also have a lot of options and we have a lot of uh, creative solutions and benefits. Um, when our board authorizes the acquisition of a given property, it also authorizes the use of eminent domain and should our negotiations reach an impasse. Uh, this step is really a protection for a property owner. It gives them all of the due process and, and rights uh, across the project. Uh, it also assures that everyone receives the same protections and benefits. And I hope you're, you'd be pleased to know that we really uh, reach a negotiated agreement with property owners about 98% of the time. We have two or two or three folks on a given project where we are required to litigate um, 
an, an agreement on price. Most of the time we do reach an agreement uh, through mutual means. Uh, next slide, please. And, and what I buy is a little different. You know, when we uh, go out to acquire property, it's not listed on the market. Uh, sometimes we need to buy a full uh, property, uh, an entire acquisition. Other times, and most times, especially in a project like this, we buy a strip of land or a portion of a property. And, and whether it's in fee simple or as an easement, uh, we also buy sometimes permanent rights and other times just temporary easements uh, to complete the projects. Uh, as you know, we buy properties above the ground, below the ground as for our tunnels. And, and in particular with the Stride Project, most of these are temporary construction easements and or small strips of land uh, being acquired. Uh, in a number of areas, we're actually working within the existing right-of-way boundaries. And uh, currently we are working on 24 properties within Shoreline City limits, um, mostly our partial acquisitions and temporary rights. Uh, we have a couple of potential access issues that we're working through the design process right now. As Rick said, we're at 60%, and that's where we really finalize um, and determine the impacts. Uh, next slide, please. So how do I get from blue lines over pink boxes on the left to that great station rendering that you see on the right? Um, you know, it really is following the record of decision and, and a final alignment determination, uh, both by the environmental process and our board, is really when we get started. Uh, BRT 522 project to be built decision was completed in September of 2021. And from there, we worked closely with the properties. We've now taken all of the acquisition areas to our board for authorization. There are about 220 properties within the five city area uh, over the 16 miles of, of this, uh, this project. Uh, many property owners are not clear where public right-of-way uh, lines start and where their fence is. And so we're working right now uh, surveying a lot of those existing areas uh, to determine where the existing right-of-way line is. Next slide, please. And we appraise each property. Uh, we have active participation with every property owner. Uh, they are invited to participate and share their information. Uh, we then review that by an independent third party to assure that we haven't missed anything and, and really do work uh, to ha have active participate by every landowner. Uh, one of the, our tenets is that we negotiate in good faith uh, and avoid litigation. That's one of my shalls. Uh, there are specific directives in the Uniform Act and we do live by those. Uh, we work closely with Sound Transit's legal team to, to, to assure that we're consistent across what we do. Um, and then we negotiate solutions wherever we can. One distinction I like to point out is that we purchase real property and I move personal property. In the event that we would need to displace someone, and that's, uh, there are a few of those within this project, but um, there are uh, robust benefits for, for relocation that are also provided uh, to a property owner. Next slide, please. One thing that many folks don't know about Sound Transit is th that we do give uh, a property owner a significant amount of benefits uh, to to work with us and to review our offers. Uh, everyone um, receives up to $7,500 in reimbursement for professional fees to have uh, an attorney or another professional review their offer. Uh, our appraisal reimbursement is $5,000. They can get their own appraisal or, or uh, have someone review ours. And uh, we will reimburse up to $2,500 for accounting fees should they want to review the impacts to their uh, 
for, from this purchase. Uh, one thing to, to know when we do authorize eminent domain, uh, each property owner receives an additional benefit of longer time to reinvest under capital gain, and the real estate excise taxes are waived. Uh, also like to note any relocation benefits are not taxable under the Uniform Act. Next slide, please. Every person um, and every property does come to the board for authorization. Um, we have a lot of requirements uh, and and take it's long, deliberative, inclusive process. Uh, it's about 18 to 24 months. So we are anything but quick when it comes to acquiring property. Uh, we give everybody a lot of time to review the information and make decisions and, and work with them to try to find solutions. Um, I can't certify the property to go forward to construction until we have all of the real estate acquired. So we're really early in the process. And uh, we do make sure when we do closeout work, uh, we're working with the city of Shoreline right now on some closeout work for the Linwood Link, and we'll be doing the same for BRT uh, when we make a sidewalk improvement or improvements within the city that will be transferred to the city. We do that, that work at the end after the project's built. Um, and my next slide, please. I always like to start end where I began, which is, you know, we do treat everyone fairly consistently and with respect across the project. Uh, that's our commitment. That's why we're here. Uh, and I look forward to working with the citizens of, of Shoreline and with, with the great staff uh, as we complete uh, a really incredible BRT project. With that, I'll, I'll turn it back to, to Rick and to the board for any questions. Great, thank you, Faith. And I think we are uh, we're done, and we are ready for any questions that council may have. Thank you. Questions or comments from council? Councilmember Mork. I am so happy this project is happening. I commuted years on 522 to Bothell. What a wonderful thing this is, and I know they're all really ecstatic. And to hear that you are going to be using electric buses doesn't get better. I'm just so happy that you're doing it. And uh, I think it's going to make the whole area much more uh, friendly for all. And thank you. Yes, Deputy Mayor. Hi, thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> thank you for just a really relatable, um, easy to understand presentation. I uh, appreciate that so much. And I do want to just ask, other than saying that there are 24 properties in Shoreline that you're looking to acquire and that you're early in the process, I would like to ask, my guess is you don't have much, but can you give us any more detail on how those acquisitions are going? You know, we are really in the appraisal stage right now. Uh, as Rick said, uh, once, once we hit 60%, that's when the design stops moving. And, and I can't start buying till they stop moving. I always say that. And, and so we're really in, in that early stage of appraisal. Uh, I think we've closed uh, one or two and we have a couple of dozen offers out right now, not all in Shoreline, but we are actively working on appraisals on all the Shoreline properties right now. Thank you. Other questions or comments? I have a couple. We had some early concerns with this project back before it was approved um, related to timing of it and related to sort of things getting promised and then the plans changed and what was promised wasn't going to be delivered. So what I would like an update on is the schedule 
and on whether there have been any changes to what was presented to us as the proposed new bus lanes, new queue jumps, all that stuff. Because I don't, I don't know if this is before both your time or if you were around, but we were presented something and then we were told, hey, sorry, we're not going to in fact have a queue jump here in what looked like a fantastic project that was going to ease traffic congestion on that highly trafficked corridor, in fact turns out to be probably a net neutral in terms of the ability of freight and everything else to move along there. So I would appreciate updates on the timeline of completion and on whether there have been any major design changes to what was last presented to us. Thank you for the question. And I can, I'll take a stab at it and I see Ariel jumping on too. So Ariel, feel free uh, to help with anything that you wanna uh, fine tune. Um, in terms of timing, um, so what I can say is that, you know, we are at 60% design. Uh, as an overall program, we expect to get into construction in 2024. So go out for, for procurement for our construction contracts and for the S3 service line specifically, we have divided the project up into two separate uh, future construction contracts. Uh, so construction timing would be in the 2024 window through 2026 and likely into 2027 when we're testing and, and getting ready to, to start service. So that's current timing. That's still consistent with uh, the board's realignment plan. So when they came out uh, in 2021 and, and uh, put our project as a tier one priority, uh, that was the timing that was talked about then. Um, and in terms of has the scope changed, I personally can't speak to uh, what may have been discussed previously with the council. I'd be happy to go back uh, and, and see if we can you know, dig up what was provided earlier and, and do a comparison between what we have scoped now at 60%. I would say generally uh, at from between 30 and 60%, uh, there shouldn't be a lot of uh, major scope changes. Uh, we try and essentially kind of lock our scope down at 30% design and, and not make a, a lot of things change after that. Uh, but I'd be happy to go back and take an action to, to double check that for you. I wasn't trying to give you a homework assignment. If, if there's nothing off the top of your head that you know, if you know, gosh, there was this big change that you know we might not know about, I, I, I appreciate it, and that's enough of an answer for me. Ms. Taylor, sure. did you want to add something? Oh, no, I actually think Rick did a great job. I was just going to jump on to, to talk about our realignment process if needed, but it seems like Rick uh got the got the answer out that i was going to provide anyway if there's any other follow-up on that though we are happy to provide so th thank you and i know we're we are where we are i'm not mad i'm not still mad but we were originally told that we were looking at simultaneous opening of this and the light rail station and we've had neighborhoods that are terrifically impacted by it it's gonna happen you know it, that's just life it's it's a necessary project and it's moving forward but we get regular complaints from folks talking about how they can't sleep, it's construction noise, and they appreciate that Sound Transit is doing what they can, but it's been years and they're still being kept up. And now we're gonna have to tell them that there's gonna be another couple of years beyond that if they're in that area. So getting it done is vital both for our neighborhood safety. And then the other thing I wanna mention is I am also, as Councilmember Mork is, so grateful for this project because when we first saw this and we didn't have this fleshed out, my worry was one of two things is gonna happen we were either gonna be the first station people drove by on the way to get to work because there was no, nowhere to put their cars and there was no way to get there, or we were gonna become you know, colloquially known as, as Sound Transit's Southeast parking lot because folks would just use our neighborhoods to park their cars in. This system is fantastic and hopefully we'll fix all of that. And for us, getting buses on the road is way more important than getting the perfect system in place. 
because habits get ingrained pretty quick. And we're putting stuff in place to control parking, but I really don't want to see empty trains because there's difficulty getting to the station. And the reality of the North End is it's pretty hard to get from Lake Forest Park to one, the 145th station without the stuff you folks are doing. So I'm equivalently grateful, although obviously I have some concerns, and I'm hopeful that you will keep us posted on delays or changes so we can at least know about them, even if there's nothing we can do about them. Any other questions or comments from council? No? Thank you all so much for coming in. I, I really appreciate the presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so that concludes our study sessions. We are now going to recess into executive session for a period of 30 minutes as authorized by RCW 42.30.1101B to consider the selection of a site or the acquisition of real estate by lease or purchase. The council is not expected to take final action following the executive session.
Go ahead. All right, the executive session has concluded, and I'm adjourning the Shoreline City Council general meeting. For example, in the most recent compensation study completed this summer, we made some practice changes in how we place